1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan.
2: I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did.
0: And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about.
2: So before we get into our episode today, we just wanted to give
0: you a little update about our Patreon. Yeah, so we just launched it at the start of the month. I've been having a lot of fun editing together. Some bloopers of us being complete messes and also some stuff that we don't feel is super relevant, but is still quite interesting because obviously the people we're talking about and the things we're talking about are all great topics, but sometimes we get a little bit off track and you get to have all of that content on our Patreon. So you should definitely go sign up for that because you just get so much extra stuff.
2: No matter what level you're at, you'll get to know sneak peeks about all of the upcoming episodes we have for the month. So you kind of know what we have going on in the work.
0: You'll get to find out the topics of episodes early. You'll get to find out all the fun drama going on on our TikTok account because that's where all the drama happens (laughs) getting access to one extra episode a month and also a discord server we have three tiers for the patreon aka
2: the discord of friendship
0: (laughs) yeah as i so lovely dubbed it we've said bazillion times like we feel like you guys are our friends so we want you to feel like you're our friends too and we want you guys to be friends with each other so that's the goal of the discord and also to just make you feel more involved in like the process of name three songs so you have a bit more input in the discussion and like the planning process and all that fun stuff. So we have three tiers going right now and we're just excited to like see this community grow with you guys. So if you are interested in signing up, you can go join at patreon.com/name3songs.
2: So, as you can probably tell from the title of this episode, today we are talking about Lana Del Rey and the many controversies that have surrounded her in her career. Over the years. And we're really excited that we were joined by two big Lana fans who are going to share their knowledge and expertise on Lana.
0: That conversation was so interesting. There's so much to unpack with this woman, and they know so much. And I feel like they've been through so much because of this woman that I'm just like, I. <laughs> yeah yeah
2: no this was honestly like I think one of the more fascinating episodes we've had talking about like a specific artist
0: yeah because as I said like she definitely is like a controversial polarizing person but she's also super talented but I feel like her persona hits so many of like the points of like what we talk about as a whole that it was just so riveting to like go deeper into like the psyche of Lana Del Rey and like how people talk about this woman and how people perceive her I don't it's It's so funny because her name hasn't like
2: crossed really any of our minds as like somebody we wanted to talk about early on it just so happens because Hannah and Audrey approached us about doing a crossover and they know so much about Lana it just worked out so well So today, because we are talking about Lana Del Rey, we thought it would be perfect to have on two fans who have kind of been around since the very beginning of Lana days. So today we have Hannah and Audrey Leach, who are a sister filmmaking duo and self-proclaimed tween movie scholars. Together, they host a podcast called Sleepover Cinema, where each week they analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, the gays in the days of the late 90s and early 2000s. I love that so much. And thank you guys for joining (laughs) us. us thank you for having
1: us (laughs) this is Hannah here I'm the older sister and I'm a Leo in case you want to know
0: and
1: I first fell in love with Lana my senior year of high school so 2012 definitely because of time spent on Tumblr and I think that I may have transferred some of that affection to my sister would you say that that's true
3: yeah definitely true so this is Audrey I'm a cancer since we're revealing that information. So, yeah, I, I'm i pretty sure the first time I heard Lana was in our first car. Like, in the... C- <laughs> Hannah always had CDs and, like, mixtapes tapes and things that we would listen to. And so I'm pretty sure the first time was in the car, probably driving to school at, like, 7 a.m. <laughs> like, yep. listening to, like, Lana talk about, like, getting with old men and, like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah really I'm ideal like,
2: yeah. content for any teenager. yeah, yeah totally <laughs> definitely. um I definitely had a similar experience of learning about Lana in my my uh high school days.
0: It's so funny because like I'm not that much older than you guys, but Lana just completely just like passed my radar and was just like something that existed as like this other entity that like the media was talking about. and I was like, not not for me. <laughs> And so I just think it's funny that it's like high school girls were like, so into what she was yeah.
2: saying. So, um, I'm a Virgo and Sarah's an Aries just since we're all yes. sharing. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys again for joining us. We're super excited to have this conversation and Sarah, would you like to tell everyone what exactly we are getting into today?
0: Yeah. So I have a hypothesis.
1: <laughs> all right, let's hear it
0: because we were joking earlier I was like oh we need to we should start doing this like it's a dissertation so I need to have like my supporting argument as to like why we're talking about Lana and I feel like a lot of the people that have specific episodes on our podcast are people who either are genuinely polarizing or the media is like pushing this like polarizing agenda even if they're not whereas Lana falls into like the former camp I think because she's been like shrouded with controversy since she came into the public eye with her infamous SNL performance and since then there's just been like controversy after controversy and it's just interesting as like a complete outsider to her like watching this unfold but like a massive consumer of like music and music media and like obviously like I know a bit of her backstory which like we'll go into a bit for anybody who's listening and doesn't know that much about her but it feels like she created like the Lana Del Rey persona and was like this is no longer a persona Lizzie Grant and Lana Del Rey are one in the same and like She, I feel like she doesn't know where Lana Del Rey starts and like her actual self begins which I feel like if anybody like pays attention to music news like they will like understand that a bit more but her whole career has been like this thing of having the like adult Lolita overtly sexual ethereal being and in a sense that leads to like this ideal of like performative feminism or like seemingly performative feminism and that like nobody seems to really understand what Lana is on anything including Lana and just like a lot of her music sort of like beautifies the idea of being with an older man sometimes being with an abusive older man and like these sort of unhealthy relationship tropes that I feel like a lot of the media that the younger part of millennials were fed based off of, like, fan fiction and that sort of realm of things. Because even, like, when you think of Twilight, you're like, is that that a relationship Like these sort of things where it's like, that's not even fan fiction. That was just something that we were given. And I feel like Lana fell into that realm of, like, study or, like, whatever of, like, tropes Mm -hmm. that were happening within that era of time. And so her just whole career has been something that I've just watched in, like, awe of somebody being able to do what she does but also the fact that everyone including the people who like interview her and discuss her in media sort of views her as this like ethereal other mm-hmm. and I feel like she views herself as such too in some sort of way and I feel like that's at least from my perspective how she has thought it was like fine to be like my fans are all like 17 but I'm gonna continue to sing about men hurting me (laughs) in like Mm -hmm. multiple ways and then bring it into her like real life and then somewhat grow out of it but still have like those same underlying themes and I guess for people who are such big fans of somebody who has been like so controversial in so many different ways number one like when is there a line and is there a line that can that's crossed where fans are just like no thank you and I feel like that's just the overarching thing that we want to lead to is like where is that line and like how do you feel about that line if there even is one but for like people who don't know that much about lana like can you guys just give a brief explanation of like where she came from and like why we all sort of know her as a train wreck even though that's not actually what she is for
1: those who do not know the origins of one miss elizabeth woldridge grant which is her birth name she grew up in lake placid new york a lot about her like origin origins like life growing up is a little bit opaque, even to people that, I mean, Audrey and I are not like stands to the level of like, we're not creating pages on like Lana Wiki. Like we're not on that level, but like, I think we are the people that would look at the pages for uh, specific nuggets of information. The whole thing with Lana and a lot of where people's like issues with her authenticity and like presentation come from, comes from the fact that she launched and relaunched her career a lot of times before she finally gained traction. So she's had like a lot of different stage names. She's been Lizzie Grant. She's been Lana Del Rey. She's been Jump Rope Sparkle Queen. She's been a lot of different things. And one thing that is also really true because Lana stands are so unhinged is that there are like at least a 100 like unreleased songs of hers out on the internet. There's like years and years of music that was pre-Lana that you can listen to and it's really good and a lot of it is really different than what ended up being the thing that caught on but one thing that I just thought of uh, as Sarah was introducing this subject was that in the song that Lana wrote before she was like the Lana that became famous it's called Junkie Pride. There's a couple lines of lyrics in it and it, it says i don't quite fit the part of she who loses everything and falls into insanity the sunbeams mean nothing if you can't find the light shining in one thing but the fact that she says i don't quite fit the part of she who loses everything and falls into insanity like that part is like 100 percent who she ultimately found to be super interesting so like the levels of meta awareness of who she's trying to portray herself as have always been there. And I think this is a little bit of a twisting maze here, but like a lot of why fans are so confused now is because it seems like all those levels have fallen away.
3: I feel like it shouldn't be all that shocking to people that those layers have fallen away at this point. Like I was like definitely expecting that at some point. Like now she's in, like, she's well into her thirties. Like she's a woman, but it's like, they don't want to see that. And I I get that.
0: From my understanding, like, she came from, like, a pretty upper middle class family. She was trying to be, like, that's what I am aspiring to be, but she was still at the same time, like beautifying this like weird subculture of America of like trailer parks and motorcycle gangs and like these whole things of like people who are very like, yeah, America. It felt like a lot of facets of this like Lana persona didn't actually mesh together, but somehow at the same time worked perfectly. Like watching these music videos where there's like all this like American flag iconography and these things that I feel like people think of when they think of like American motorcycle gangs <laughs> It's like mm-hmm. the best way to put it is like these old scraggly men attracted to like young women who are like trying to be sexy and like this whole thing and it's just really interesting learning more about her and realizing where she's come from and like how much more of a persona Lana is than I ever really realized.
1: Yeah I think there's also something that kind of just struck me right now as we're talking about this because I rarely get involved in the discourse with Lana because (laughs) it gets so complicated so quickly but like I think and partially probably why I liked her so much in the beginning is because she presents this really particular version of like voyeuristic bad decision making that is like only really bad decision-making to like an upper middle-class white person you know like if you're not an able-bodied upper middle-class white girl you're not gonna seek out a biker gang of white men like you're just not going to it's not gonna be like hot hot or dangerous in the fun way it's just gonna literally dangerous you know I think that that's probably why so much of like the tumblr generation was into her because so many of the most tumblery people fit that demographic too
2: yeah, I, I think, like, she sings so much about, like, death and love. And I feel like as, because when I was listening back to, like, her first record and, like, I was obsessed with that record and I was just, like, taking me back and, like, remembering, like, why I loved it so much, or, like, what it meant to me. And I feel like a lot of teen girls are, like, just, like, struggling to figure out their identity in the world. Mm-hmm. And the way she thinks about sings about things is so romantic. And a lot of times, I, I mean, for me personally, you're both exploring things of, like, becoming a young woman and like what is love and then at the same time you know having friends or yourself dealing with like mental health issues and also being attracted to the other side of like the death way she sings about things Mm -hmm. and so I think because like she's just like this whole package it's very easy to get wrapped up in that when
0: you haven't seen a lot else of the world
1: yeah I agree well also her
0: voice is like hypnotic to a degree where like if I had been myself at 18 but just like three years later like I would have fallen into the trap so hard (laughs) like Mm. I would be so much more fucked up now (laughs) (laughs) because just listening to her now I'm like because like we recently had a conversation about like misogyny and song lyrics and like when you are listening to these songs it takes you a while to understand what they're singing about But it's still that thing where, like, I can sing a song I heard once because your brain is still somehow recording what's happening, even if you're not acknowledging it. So Mm -hmm. it's just that thing where by the time you're, like, so far into a musician that they're affecting how you act and all that stuff like it's too late <laughs> because it's already taken hold of the like psychology of your brain it's just interesting like sort of having witnessed like these people not like it's not a trap I'm making it sound horrific but it's like falling into just like the lifestyle that is portraying that like she doesn't actually live like now listening back to it and like listening to it for more than like a couple minutes i'm like oh i i see how this could happen like i get it
2: so after she became lana del rey she just like quickly rose to fame the internet was loving her i think she had like three or four singles out when she got booked for snl and then her debut or well her lana del rey debut album dropped like a week after snl and so like already there was like buzz about her because it was like why is she being booked for this you know usually this is reserved for like famous artists stuff like this so there was like a lot of like hype leading up to like her performance and then her performance was very odd Mm. some might say it was bad it was just i would just say it's interesting and she definitely became a household name because of that for better or for worse clearly it ended up rocketing her fame instead of tearing her down but like what do you guys remember of this and were like were you a fan at this point was this kind of like a turning point for you whether or not you were like deciding to stand her
1: I was not yet somehow I was not yet conscious of her when this happened so it was like after Born to Die the album had come out when I started listening to her because the CD that I had in the car was like the deluxe edition like EP basically of the first album but no I mean I feel like Once she got that boost from the SNL like disaster, the visibility that that gave her made my friends know who she was and therefore made me figure out who she was, I would say. I don't even think I ever watched the SNL performance until maybe like 2015 or something. And I remember being, I think, I mean, I don't remember watching it any earlier than that. Yeah. What about you?
3: Obviously, I learned of her through Hannah, so I didn't know of it at the time either. But I've been a Lana fan since 2012, but it it never got to the point of, like, becoming an identity thing for me. Just watching her be herself and, like, watching all her performances over time. I also became friends with my college roommate. He is a a huge Lana fan. Through becoming friends with him, I, like, backtracked on all that stuff I missed and like saw all these like twenty twelve like Amoeba performances and stuff, and yeah, I was yeah. like getting like reindoctrinated, almost intensifying it. But yeah, I just thought it was like funny and that she was clearly very, very nervous during that performance. It's and like during a lot of her early performances, her voice is really shaky. So yeah, there's
0: that. I remember vividly that SNL performance because I mean as somebody who does music journalism like you're constantly like consuming this stuff and like anytime somebody's like new on SNL you're like you have to watch it because it's crazy and I just remember watching it and I was just like who is her father was my first thought because like growing up in New York anytime somebody who's nobody shows up somewhere you're like her dad or her mom knows someone and so that was like my first initial reaction because i was like what i was like what is happening here cuz it wasn't so much that she was bad it just felt like she showed up a year early like I was like yeah. there if I was like because I just remember watching and I was like it feels like there's something here but like it feels like she's never performed in real life before and it was like that awkward thing and I just was like this is so horrible and then watching it back like, a couple of days ago I was like oh like this isn't as bad as I remember it being because my memory was that she was just like tone deaf like everything was like Randy Jackson being like this a little pitchy dog a little pitchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but instead watching it back I'm like oh she's just anxious like she's just nervous but I mean like the dancing was a little off-putting but I mean watching her her at any point the dancing always is off-putting so I guess at least she kept that up but the other really like visceral memory of it was like I thought for the weekend update thing that Kristen Wiig just took the piss out of her to the extent of like this is like this dumb bimbo who has no right doing anything but instead it was sort of like this is a dumb bimbo but like she had every right to do what she did and so it was just really interesting watching it back and I don't know if this was the 2012 still in the state of like all of the internalized misogyny finally like trying to leave my body or it genuinely felt at that time that she was hating on her but Mm -hmm. like watching it back now I'm like oh she kind of was standing up for her and fucking with SNL being like we let Shaggy perform even though Shaggy is a very talented man but still it's like (laughs) it's like we invited the Baja men like she's not the worst person that SNL has had on and so the fact that like she got famous from the SNL thing now, looking back, makes so much more sense because it wasn't an untalented person performing. It was an anxious person, which somehow makes her more likable in a weird way Mm -hmm. because I just remember everybody like panning her every single outlet being like who was this how dare she whatever and then all of a sudden her being everywhere and me being like how can somebody get so famous and like have so much interest around them when everybody just was like her career is over so it was weird how people were like her career is over and that actually made her have a career by everybody saying it was over
1: yeah yeah I think there's something about like the public humiliation of a newcomer that like no matter what people ultimately think like it does pique your interest and you kind of can't help but track them from there on out so i think that even if she did get panned like it did make such a big impact that people were at least going to pay attention to whatever came next and like you can't say that about like every snl performance like
3: it also like sets the precedent for her eventual victim narrative
1: that's what i was gonna say
3: from that moment it was like and it is similar to the taylor swift thing Mm -hmm. it totally is it manifested in extremely similar ways yeah (laughs) um but just in really different like worlds and yeah yeah.
0: aesthetics (laughs) yeah yeah that's so interesting because like you saying how it led to her being able to use that like victim mentality because it totally did because like that's everybody's first memory of her is like either you feel sorry for her, or you don't, and she kind of just like leaned into it, and like any interview for like a year or two, or just anything she did was I don't know, like kind of like owning it in like a way where it's like I like to be a victim,
1: which is weird.
3: <laughs> so- her interviews are all over the place from back
1: then. Like they're yeah. just they're so-, so weird. They're so weird. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes she'll just be like. I wish I could have sex with Elvis Presley. And then like (laughs) other ones, she'll be like a totally normal person. And you're like, what's happening? Where's the line?
0: (laughs) I think it's funny too, how depending on who she's talking to, she uses different speaking voices. Mm. And like it's so off-putting that I'm like I don't even I, like I can't even figure out who she uses what voice for because sometimes I'm like oh okay she uses this voice for this and then I'm like nope then she talked to another person and she sounds like a normal person I don't <laughs> like I don't even know because like I want everything about this like persona to be a calculated thing and it's not. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it just reached the That's point so true. where, like, she is Lana Del Rey. And, like, she, mm-hmm. so she doesn't, like, she doesn't know how to yeah.
1: turn the switch between the two anymore.
3: Yeah, and she doesn't care if people are
1: confused.
3: <laughs> like, she yeah. she
1: truly does not care. First time I saw her was in the spring of 2014. So it was kind of still in, like, that really intense manic, like, post-SNL, pre-third album, or second album, I guess. And it was really out of the way because I was going to NYU, and me and my friend had to go all the way to Wallingford, Connecticut, <laughs> where we stayed in and- her <laughs> A recently deceased grandmother's trailer park that she was the landlord of and so we we're very saying- on brand though it, it was very on brand uh but basically the last like 20 minutes of the show she signed Autographs, like she walked down into the pit and just like received everyone's like desperate love and affection for like 20 minutes. But the but the most unreal part is that the band was like vamping the whole time. It was like an outro for like 20 minutes as she was like signing everyone's stuff. And like the thing that was so painful about it was yes, the people in the pit were probably the most like mentally uh unstable or like <laughs> dependent on getting the validation, but like Like everyone there had to have put in a shitload of effort to get there so it was like the feeling of like watching a part you really wanted in your high school play like go to someone else like over and over over again yeah it was just like so upsetting like it almost made it feel like it wasn't even worth it to go because it was like okay those people put in like an extra like eight hours of their time to get to the venue early to get into the pit to do whatever But, like, that's always kind of what it's felt like with Lana is that it's, like, if you're not, like, hunting her down, like, a fucking, like, bounty hunter at the end of the show (laughs) or to, like, meet her and have her, like, kiss you. That Which she literally will do. Which she will literally do. That you are, like, wasting your time because the shows are so half-assed.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. I remember...
2: So I saw her at Lollapalooza in 2013. I don't remember much of the performance as far as like being disappointed, but I do remember the end. She also went down on like the barrier and was just like talking to everyone and like taking photos and signing stuff for the whole, like, she always does it. Yeah, because I remember, like, since you said that, and, like, that was one of her, like, earlier performances, because I think it was, like, 2013, and she did that then, too. And I remember, like, it was so weird. It was like, is she going to sing another song? Is she done? Like, the band Yeah, song, right, what right. is happening? Like, do we leave? Do we stay? Yeah, that's how I felt, too. That's how I felt. But I
3: can understand how doing that for her became helpful. Like, it creates this insanely close bond with her and her mega stands, and it's like they will they will fight for her for anything like they really really will you're not a part of that echelon
1: then like good luck yeah (laughs) i think there's also something really interesting about her cultivating that level of toxic like codependency because like (laughs) so many of the americana epic figures that she tries to model herself after whether it's like Marilyn or like elvis or whoever those are the people who ultimately like their fate was sealed by the manic admiration of all these people and i just think you know like i just find it really interesting that she would like throw herself in the line of fire like that in the same way that all of her like fallen idols did but it makes sense wow. especially that's her then. brand that's her yeah.
0: because yeah. literally we had almost the exact same thought <laughs> which is like mm-hmm. but it's it's so insane because also on top of that it's like she also is like portraying and singing about like very unhealthy relationships and like a lifestyle that's like not really something that anybody would want their kid to go out of their way to like fall into and yet she also on top of that is putting that onto her fans by making them feel so attached to her in that way cause it's like Lady Gaga fans like view Lady Gaga on this pedestal as this like ethereal being but in this very she's like a fairy like she's like untouchable she's incredible whereas I feel like Lana fans have the same sort of thing of like Lana's on this pedestal but Lana's like their cold mother Who like shows (laughs) him like every so often just the right amount to get them to keep coming back, but then is also like you're kind of fat. Maybe think about that. And so (laughs) it's just like this like aggressively unhealthy relationship that like every form of Lana is like perpetrating, and it's just like wild to me. That's such a good
3: comparison. (laughs) Even to this day, like, she just gives you enough to keep your intrigue. I mean, to this day, she's, I think she's lost a lot of, I think she's lost a decent amount of people, but NFR, her last album was her most widely acclaimed. Yeah, Um, she would,
2: like, Grammy noms for it.
3: Yeah, so Mm -hmm. that's interesting. But, but of course, then (laughs) after that, and she didn't even win the Grammy, like, (laughs) she uh really took a wrecking ball to i i feel like everything
2: that she built up so one thing i wanted to bring up since we're talking about this like persona of her is in uh 2019 she did an interview with nme and she's quoted here saying i really never felt like much of what people said about me resonated with how i felt at my core which i think is interesting because it just seems like for everyone it's like oh lana's a persona and to lana she's like no this is who i am and then to Basically what we've been saying before, it's like there's kind of like these facades that have started falling away and you're like, is it a persona? Like who really are you? And I think that's super interesting because there was a, a Vox like did an expose about Lana and it was like how Lana's career explains a huge shift in the way we think about pop stars. And they also go to point out like stars studies, which is like a whole academic discipline at this point and like looking at the personas of stars and how we see of them through their art in, in the movies or in interviews and stuff like that.
1: 18 plus
2: and there's a quote here what matters is the way we perceive the star image and the way it affects how we experience the star's art so it's like to us that is like lana is a character like this is just how we perceive her because of what she's put out there and so it's just really interesting to see how often she says like no this is who i am and like nobody really understands me or will ever understand that
0: Also in that too, it's like Lana was like that cool girl when being a quote unquote like cool girl being like oh I'm not like other girls was like a sought after trope and like something that was acceptable but it was on the cusp of feminism becoming something that young people acknowledged and were like oh being a feminist isn't bad and Lana being like this other pop star turned into this whole other thing where it was like cool when she first started and then when it's stopped being like when that idea of it like stopped being cool to the general public she sort of veered away but her fans were like I want you to be not like other girls and Lana's like Mm -hmm. I don't know and I feel like at that point Lana stopped being able to be because I feel like when she first started it was like Lana felt like a persona even to her and then it got to that point where the persona of Lana stopped being something that was like sought after by the general public that then it seemed like she kept getting confused between like who she is and who Lana is if that makes sense because I feel like when you have a persona like for example like Bowie it's like when Bowie Ziggy Stardust like Ziggy Stardust is a different person and I feel like some artists do that where it's like there's a persona where you're a different person and like that's fine but I feel like sometimes people do that and they're like I don't actually know how to be two people and it just got to the point where like Lizzie Grant and Lana Del Rey stopped understanding how to be separate entities I don't know if that makes sense
1: that makes sense I think that when it comes down to trying to pin down the levels of the persona you just get in the weeds so quickly because she's not easy to read you know like even if even for people like audrey and i who have spent like hundreds of hours listening to her music and like ingesting the stuff that she puts out there i don't really think that there's an answer which we know but to me it's almost like the thing that audrey and i talked about a lot lately that is timely a little bit more is like the persona and her like intentions Mm -hmm. like uh, like a lot about how her persona has evolved over time I think has had to do with how she's being perceived and like her intentions because it's like kind of a lot of what we've been talking about over the past 12 months even is just like intention versus impact in general Mm -hmm. and I feel like with Lana as you were saying like the interest the market interest in like the downtrodden like pop star from the wrong side of the tracks like all of that kind of fell away and I think that so much of why that fell away was because of culture shifting so much in America since Mm -hmm. even from 2012 to 2016 like so much happened in that time frame and so it was like she couldn't fully abandon the persona because it would be really confusing for like her stands, but at the same time it was like How was she going to let out an album about wanting to get fucked in a junkyard when like Trump (laughs) is elected? you know like you yeah you can't really have both and it kind of reminds me also of like in like the second half of Obama's presidency there was this certain thing where like really singular perspectives in like white women creators were really valued like I think of mm-hmm. Lana I think of like Lena Dunham I think of like yeah. Taylor Swift and how like when the culture moved everyone was like oh these people actually yeah. have a lot of checking to do yeah. And then everyone so was trying to keep up and then just like blunder like tripping over their own two feet like constantly.
3: Well, yeah, it definitely was like pulling the rug out from under like they were in a very cushy position. Yeah when like when Obama was still president. It was
1: like feminism, but not actually. Yeah, like you don't so actually. Singular.
3: Yeah, and I was this kind of I was gonna say this like a few minutes ago, but just a side note, like um have been listening to Lana for so long, but I' don't feel like I can say that I know her like I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I know her I'm also a big fan of Ariana Grande I feel like I know her like I have a way better understanding of like who she is on a daily basis and it's interesting that she that Lana's been able to hold our attention for this long without us actually being able to like pin her down and I guess that's a part of it and I just wanted to briefly also mention the Charlie's Angels collab because that was a hot mess and like it looked so Wrong, but like I wanted it to work so badly.
0: Well, the thing that's really interesting in that um enemy article that Jenna was talking about, the author, her name's Rianne Daly, she like was talking about the Charlie's Angels thing. And Lana's like, Oh, yeah, like Ariana and I became really good friends. Ariana, like all this stuff about how great Ariana is, and then R- Rianne's like, What about Miley? and she's like, Oh, just Miley's being Miley. <laughs> and like obviously like I can't hear it but that's the way I felt like Lana said it of like let's not talk mm-hmm. about Miley then Rian continues in the article to be like there's only two women that Lana is like advocating for and saying that she respects essentially which are Ariana and Billie Eilish and so it's back to that thing where Lana maybe hates maybe hates women and it's that cool girl persona of like I'm not like them I'm not like these other people and so she's like very selective about the women she respects when everybody right now is kind of like we have to respect all women like at all times and so I just think it's wild because in every interview you ever read about Lana when somebody meets her they use all these like descriptive terms to talk about her like she's like this ethereal being and I mean I'm just gonna read this verbatim because this was hilarious to me in a 2015 billboard article at the beginning of it he's talking about how he like saw her at a party And he's like, she was unpretentious and softly gregarious, like a doe-eyed underdressed newcomer to the town. And then later when he like goes to her house to meet her, he's like, she greets me in the drive, inquisitive, friendly, and aware. For a moment she looks like Elvis and Priscilla, all in one. And it's like, just it's so funny because (laughs) everybody leaned into like, she's not like other girls, she's like this other thing. And then Lana, even in 2019 is like, Miley doesn't just like obviously did not say this I need to be very clear that Lana did not say this I'm reading into something but like it felt very much like Miley doesn't deserve my respect but Ariana does and like Billie Eilish does and like it's so weird how so much goes into her controversy of May of 2020 of like her just like not knowing when to shut the fuck up about like other women. Audrey, you brought up the point of feeling like you don't know Lana
2: even though you've been a fan for so long and I think part of that is because Lana not relatable like the stuff she sings about is not really relatable and the stuff Ariana sings about and talks about is relatable and so I think that's why so many people feel like Lana is a character is because for for like most people the stuff she sings about isn't something that we've also experienced yeah <laughs> and I think that's what puts like the distance between like the listeners
3: yeah, and I do and I do feel like it really does go back to that SNL performance, like, from that moment, Lana made a concrete decision, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say anything that's real, because she definitely felt like she was going to get attacked for it, and so the one time that she claims that she actually did say something real this past year, it was so, like... Shocking yeah. to people because they like, thought where did it come from, yeah. And people thought she was with it because she had kept this uh, like a guise of silence for so long, yeah. And so people definitely thought that she was further
0: along than she really is. Was a mask debacle after the May debacle, it's...
3: yeah, roughly the same time, but it yeah. was
0: after the one, yeah. It was she after wore a she... mask that looked like oh, it had the no- nothing there,
1: yeah think before we get into talking about the most recent PR crisis I just think if you're someone who is not like super oriented within her body of work just taking like two minutes to contextualize a little bit would be good basically like she had born to die she had born to die the sequel then she had ultraviolence which was like heavy I want to be violently abused by my sexual partners I'm saying it explicitly and then we have honeymoon which is like old Hollywood glamour and then we have Trump getting elected and then we have lust for life which is her being like haha just kidding I didn't mean all that about being abused and wanting to die and whatever because I'm actually really lucky and I I'm gonna write like fake woke songs about Woodstock and then she had her next album come out which was Norman fucking Rockwell which was not political but really emotional and that was the one that got a, a lot of the arguably long deserved critical respect and like clout for her. everyone was like this is a great pleasant album like you know your mom could play this at wine night or a 14th listen to it like it could be anything and then should hit the fan once again so there's just a little bit of context
2: so basically in may 2020 lana made this unprompted instagram post of like text you know like a notes app but she like used a typewriter or whatever i think it's funny that this was like unprompted but do you guys want to give like kind of like a summary of what the post was and kind of what happened after
3: uh, yeah, well, it's hard to sum there's this thing is like jam packed with false information and um, <laughs> just like horrific opinions coming out of nowhere. And, it, and it's clearly had no proofreading and no PR help and no like it just has nothing. But I do feel like the first two sentences are like important if you haven't read it, like to actually hear. So here it is. Question for the culture. Now that Doja Cat, Ariana, Camilla, Cardi B, Kehlani and Nicki Minaj, and Beyonce have had number ones with songs about being sexy, wearing no clothes, fucking, cheating, etc., can I please go back to singing about being embodied? feeling beautiful by being in love, even if the relationship is not perfect or dancing for money or whatever I want, without being crucified or saying that I'm glamorizing abuse. Oh!
2: <laughs> There's a I lot
3: just, to unpack.
0: I'm like so confused how Lana's like, being embodied is me being abused by old men. Like,
3: I don't want to Yeah, yeah. She, she believes that there is a type of woman who is more delicate and more likely to not be heard or more likely to be pushed aside by other women or men that hate women so like her mindset is just so 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 off her mind um, her mind her mind is not killing it in this moment
0: is that just like coded like white lady? is that what she's mean? i
3: think so well she clearly states after the fact that she doesn't mean women that are white like her, she means women that are (laughs) delicate like her. You also didn't mention the sentence where she says, women who look like me. Look like me. Yeah. She literally said, look like me, but she doesn't mean look like me, apparently. She (laughs) has made these claims that, like, she's being clear when... Basically, it angered every stan of any artist, like on all of Twitter. And then she she plugs her book at the end.
2: Oh yeah, and she says
3: she plugs her album and her book, and she says she will be paying reparations to the indigenous community, and that stems from. I think the Ride music video, right? And she says that they like touched her in her youth. I don't know what that's about. Like something about the indigenous community being involved in her youth. I don't know what that means. She just makes the most tragic comparisons. This is all sort of um, planted in my mind through a D'Angelo Wallace YouTube video, which is a great video essay about this post and the string of posts
2: that occurred. Around this situation. I guess considering like her very early work, had the wearing wearing a headdress in one of her music videos, and then had this like Latina iconography. I guess like how can we really be surprised like this is what's coming out in 2020? (laughs) Like we know that she's like appropriated some stuff in the past. We know that she like doesn't have the most clear head when it comes to like what's
1: morally right. But I do feel like a lot of pop stars have fucked up like this in the past yeah. 10 years. So it's sort of like, on one hand, I totally agree, like, why do we have higher expectations? But on the other hand, she really did a good job of making it seem like she had grown out of a lot of the more problematic things that she had, like, done or said. The thing that's interesting, though, is it's like
0: when you do something like becoming a singer or whatever the case may be with stuff like this it's like you're choosing to try and become famous like this is a goal and you know that like with fame especially when it comes to music that you become a role model and that people sort of try and embody your image and what you're doing and stuff and I feel like especially with social media and the way things have been in the past like decade and more so the past five years it's like as long as you're on like the right side of history, if you shut the fuck up, I feel like people should just be okay with it. But because fans are so used to having so much access, they're like, say something, say something, say something. And it's. I feel like you either need to be quiet at all times and like when big things happen, be like, donate money, Or say something constantly, but like the way that Lana was like, I'm gonna say nothing and just appear woke, and then all of a sudden drop this like bombshell, and also picking like 90% women of color to like name drop in this statement and then also utilize it to be like I do pay my reparations and also to be like I have a new album coming out I have a new book coming out and it's like she just hit all these nails on the head so what I was trying to see was what the media's response was to this PR bumble and most of the articles were very straight to the point like this is what Lana said this is why it's like verging on racism like this is is like how she fucked up but then Laura Snape's from The Guardian who tends to write like more thesis essay based articles about like everything like she's a very talented writer she wrote this whole thing about it which part of me was like this is excessive but also another part of me is like I guess you should probably hold people accountable but she said something that just like she obviously was talking about like the hints of racism in it and all these other things but the thing that I found so interesting and like a topic that we discuss a lot in this podcast is how the media is not very nice to these pop stars and like the pop stars tend to not be that nice to the media in return which is like a consistent thing they butt heads because that's what they do but with lana number one starting the thing name dropping these people causing a controversy which are going to cause the fans of the these people to talk about them that's the whole thing and then obviously like making it an ad and so laura was like female pop stars regularly criticize the media pitting them against one another to sell magazines and drive clicks it's depressing to see a critically acclaimed musician exploit that dynamic mobilizing those artists noisy fan bases for publicity because that was the thing was like when i first watched like d'angelo's thing and like you guys were talking about this and like I sort of remembered it happening I was like oh it wasn't calculated she just like is bad with words but then I'm like oh why am I making excuses number one but number two it's like once I read Laura's like statement on this I'm like that's literally what she did is like she's aware like you know she's not stupid people are aware of how people pit each other against each other and she literally was like I'm gonna make people mad and make people talk about my album because I like don't want to do it myself and so I just think that it's wild that she was like I'm gonna like lean into like my internalized like racism and hatred of other women and like pretend I didn't do it on purpose just to get people to talk about the fact that I have a release coming out so I I don't know what your thoughts are on that but that's what it
1: felt like to me. Okay, two things. Well, first first thing is Sarah, from what you said, I don't think that anyone in this day and age would be like, if I'm racist deep within, I'm going to unleash it for gain. Because like I don't think any white person unless they're like highly evolved and they're trying to do better in some like weird way, like I don't think anyone would do that. But what I do think she was doing was like intentionally letting go of nuance just to see what would happen almost being like oh i know some of my fans must feel this way and also i don't really give a fuck and i'm already dating a cop anyway so okay there's that jeez well she used to say she's
3: not not a feminist and um she's like I'm not not a feminist but I think it's annoying that like people are always asking me are you a feminist you know this type of question that's like what's it like to be a female artist in this industry that sort of Mm -hmm. um line of questioning obviously is extremely annoying for female artists but in my opinion, you, you can't just say I'm not not a feminist and
0: leave it there. That but just, she did. It's just like <laughs> really one of those things where, like, you use a double negative to make a very specific point. And I feel yeah. like by saying I'm not not a feminist is it's being she's being like it's not that I don't want equality, but it's like I don't care if we have equality is what it yeah. feels. Yeah, and yeah. So, like I feel like she thinks using that term is very like. I'm not saying anything but it's like you're saying so much with that second like Mm -hmm. using a double negative so yeah
1: and another thing she said in that interview is that they were like so are you a feminist and she was like feminism's boring (laughs) I was like and and there's a thing that I kind of understand which was like in that cultural moment of like 2014 it was very like I feel like it was very, like, girl boss feminism in a lot of ways. It wasn't very nuanced or intersectional at all, which, like, obviously she didn't give a shit about. Because, like, it's Lana. Like, she doesn't think about that. But I think that for her, when she thinks maybe, like, when you thought of, like, feminist pop star at the time, I mean, I don't even know what you would have thought of. I don't know. It's kind of the cool girl thing. It's true. Which is, like, her dynamic with men was such a big part of her music at the time that by being like I'm a feminist it wouldn't have made sense but again nothing has ever made sense so it's kind of like why not just throw that in there yeah Uh,
2: it wouldn't have made sense with like the the type of art she's putting out and like how she's actually living her life
1: yeah right right and so I have been such a vocal and like a visible fan of hers for such a long time it's like a thing where like if anyone ever sees any sort of like meme about Lana or like video about her like they always send it to me like no matter how long it's been since I've like talked to a person (laughs) like it always it always comes back and so I think for me it's like the artists that I so aggressively have associated myself with it's like a, it's like an infinite reflection thing. Like when you have two mirrors and you pull them close together and it like goes on forever. Like, I feel like that's how I interact with the media that I really like. And so for me, it's like, okay, I feel like I've outgrown a lot of her persona and shit. And just like, you know, when white women artists especially get called out for like not being inclusive enough or like fucking up and then they just like, heavy handedly have like all black backup singers or like all black creative teams. And it's just sort of like, I guess that's good, but it kind of feels inauthentic still. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I have a quote also, if I may. Yeah, please. That is from her, her, the last thing, actually I think it was the second to last thing she said after the May incident, which is so loaded, but like, okay, so here, here it is. It's in her um, written out typewritery thing, but the the last one, she says, "I'm sorry that the folks who I can only assume are super Trump slash Pence supporters or hyper liberals." or flip-flopping, headline-grabbing critics can't read and want to make it a race war when in fact the issue was with female critics and female alternative artists who are dissociated from their own fragility and sexuality and berate more sexually liberated artists like her, apparently, like myself, and the women I mention. But in truth, making it about race says so much more about you than it does about me. You want the drama. You don't want to believe that a woman could be beautiful strong and fragile at the same time loving and all-inclusive by making personal reparations simply for the joy of doing it
0: so is she did she become fully <laughs> unhinged to the point of like maybe needing medical help after reading the Ann Powers critique which I thought was a beautiful essay because I feel like that's the turning point where like Lana broke yeah
3: it's possible I think that and just the combination of every stan ever coming after her and then obviously people extreme on both sides coming after her for different reasons she like lana believes because her intention she believes her intention is pure that absolves her from any type of deeper thinking about the role that she's playing Mm -hmm. and it's
2: like nobody like we don't think that way over here but i don't know She was like i'm paying reparations to the indigenous people so therefore everything i do in the world is right is fine yeah
3: Yeah. simply
2: for the joy of doing it okay cool yeah when she posted her first essay she posted (laughs) three more times that day she just kept yes i'm just going about my day posting more trying to bury this post that i and then the next day is when she like made her fall or like second follow-up post yeah and She posts a lot more on that day. And then it's like three days later, she posts a video Mm -hmm. talking about this again.
3: Yeah. Her literal last words on the whole thing were if you don't like the post, fuck off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just like, I'm so confused as to like, her especially being like this was me being anti-woman is essentially what she said was she was like this is me putting my foot down against like alternative female artists and female critics and it's like is the bar that low for men that you can't be mad at them too like I don't understand
2: yeah 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 or the men are just so entranced by her that like they just think of her as like this beautiful (laughs) ethereal figure so I think like Ariana did like call her out or, like, message her about this. Yeah. And she just, like, I guess they're not friends anymore.
3: Yeah. Like, Lana actually... Said it. She said it. She said, despite the feedback I've heard from several people that I mentioned in a complimentary way, whether it be Ariana or Doja Cat, I want to say that I remain firm in my clarity and stance, and that what I was writing about the importance of self-advocacy for the more delicate and often dismissed softer female personality, and that there does have to be room for that type in what will inevitably become a new wave slash third wave of feminism that is rapidly approaching. We're already (laughs)
1: in the third. Yeah. Fucked up. The third wave yeah. has
3: been here. I just don't. She imagine. doesn't know what she's talking about. Does, does she want
0: a new wave of feminism to be women who are like, ch- like chained to radiators in their <laughs> lover's bedrooms? Like I don't. I'm being like <laughs> I, I am delicate. I must be locked up while my husband is away. Like I don't like that's. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and then there's also this whole thread to it too, where she's basically like submissive relationships matter too and it's like okay a sub- that just brings up this whole question of like I feel like kinks are more socially acceptable now than they've like ever been before like I feel like everyone is moving real fast with with all that kind of thing and it's like okay what is like a sub like you're talking about actual BDSM like what are you talking about you know it's yeah so confusing
3: No, literally,
1: what are you talking about?
3: Like, just say it. Like, what do you mean?
2: I'm not not a feminist.
3: Because she... What what are you talking about? Firm in my clarity and stance. There's no stance, there's no firmness, and there's no clarity here. Like, say what you mean.
0: I feel like for so long, like, she seemed to have an idea of what she was doing, and then she
1: broke. So, I guess, like, Audrey... Are you, like, along for the ride still? Like, where are you at with all of this? I know I am. I mean,
3: I'm, I'm definitely along for the ride, because, like, I'm gonna keep being alive, so I don't really know how to not be along for the ride. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, yeah, she is coming out with a new single pretty soon. And there was, like, a teaser thing recently looked- that actually looked like it had some effort involved visually yeah. so that's something but i don't see myself becoming a a uh more involved fan yeah because like also like we're growing up you know
1: right <laughs> like, right
0: yeah well, do you do you yeah. think that the line was finally crossed where like her fans like and as fans like as you guys are saying that like you're kind of like okay you kind of just reached the point of no
1: return i feel like For me, yes. But I actually feel like the line was crossed after we went to that shitty concert.
3: Yeah, you saw Hannah was real sour after that. I was mad. it It was bad. And my roommate was also really mad too.
1: For someone who is so bad at PR, for someone who has made so many fucking blunders, for someone who positions herself to be all about the music... How are you going to put on shows that are so half-assed and still claim all that? And then she was problematic on top of it all.
3: Yeah, she's just got a lot. She's got a long way to go.
2: Sarah, do you have like a conclusion point at all? Is there any, <laughs> 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 any conclusion we want to draw from this?
0: I think just like it's important to acknowledge Lana's talent which like she is like a very talented singer songwriter and when she puts the work in like her visuals are impressive like when she's like 100% there it's something to pay attention to but I think also it's super important to be critical of these people because they are so much in the public eye and they are as you guys said like affecting people so much because there are so many people like Hannah who will be like this is what I want to be I want to emulate them because like I've done it we've all done it it's not crazy like it's no it's a normal behavior especially within like teen girls of like wanting to emulate somebody and so I feel like being critical of people when people are going to be emulating them is like really important so I think it's just when you love an artist like this, it's, like, you need to just have, like, that grain of salt (laughs) right there of being, like, okay, I need to, like, think more in depth maybe about these things. And, like, not assume that when people are being critical that everyone's trying to cancel them because I feel like everyone's going to make mistakes. We're all human, you know? So, like, while what Lana has said and done, like, isn't amazing, it's, like, that's just who who she is i'm like i don't know if unfortunately is the right word but i just feel like that's just it seems like that's just who she is as a person and you either like it or you don't but i i don't know like she's not killing <laughs> i don't know like jenna like uh, since you had listened to her but like she didn't leave a lasting imprint on you <laughs> What are your takeaways from this?
2: Well, I think this has just been a super interesting and informative conversation, Mm -hmm. both just like diving back into like the history of her career and then also hearing from both of y'all and hearing your varying perspectives I think this is just like a fascinating case in general because like Lana did kind of rewrite the pop star narrative. And I think we've, in this conversation, have been able to come to some like really cool conclusions of like being able to identify with her, not identify with her and like, who is she really? And I think some of those questions still stand to be answered in the future. But yeah, I don't personally feel like that the part of me that was a Lana fan is I'm so far away from that person that I'm not going to be re-indoctrinated into like being a fan so to me it's like I have enough distance of like okay that's Lana that's what she's doing I'm probably not gonna like listen to her next album or stuff like that but I think it's it's a fascinating conversation. So I do want to say thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks for having that us. Was so fun. <laughs> um, and we are going to put your social links in the description below. But for those listening, where can they find you if they want to hear more about Lana or about Sleepover Cinema? We're on um,
3: YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram with our um, production company name. That's our at. It's at two pink pictures, T-O-O, pink
1: pictures i have another podcast i do that's like personal storytelling and like memoiry profile type things but it's called wholehearted and there's an episode called the gospel of lana if you want to hear more about all of that just at wholehearted podcast on instagram yeah and we're gonna have jenna and sarah on sleepover talk about josie and pussycats so you'll have to listen to that as well
2: It's time for Band of the Week in 30 Seconds or Less. All right, Audrey, would you like to take away Band of the Week in 30 Seconds or Less? Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, let's take it away in three, two, one. Okay, so my Band of the Week is called the Prom
3: Queens. They are described as glam folk I believe, I'm pretty sure, but my own sister is in it along with her bandmates, Josh Perlman Hall and Iona Cheston, and one of my favorite songs by them is called Old Perfume, and it reminds me of of some folk group, like a, a folk vibe that I really like to sing and I really like to listen to, like the band First Aid Kit, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for the plug.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, are you
1: ready? I'm ready. All right. In three, two, one. Okay. My band of the week is a band called Grumpy Plum. Um, They sound a lot like Diet Sig kind of best coasty very pop punk um their uh their front woman is my friend Tallulah Swayce who is like low-key TikTok famous and adorable and a really talented singer-songwriter they actually uh hit I think like over 100,000 streams during quarantine and they're really cute and fun and I highly recommend them listen to the song Kia Soul it's very good
0: perfect 30 seconds amazing that was was impressive (laughs) thank you (laughs)
2: So if you did enjoy this conversation, we actually recorded for a really long time and we have lots of bonus scenes that didn't make the final cut. So if you want to hear more on this episode, come join us over at patreon.com slash name three songs and you can sign up to get more behind the scenes content from this episode and all of our other ones.
0: If you liked our banter with (laughs) Hannah and Audrey, then you can hear more of it. We did record an episode for their podcast that aired on January 7th. We talked all things Josie and the Pussycats because we had to be on brand. But as Jenna said earlier, it was more of like a critical discussion because they know a shit ton about how films work. It was very interesting. So if you enjoyed our Josie episode and you enjoyed this episode, we really think you'll enjoy that one too. The podcast is called Sleepover Cinema and on social media platforms, they're under um, Two Pink Pictures. You can follow them on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, they're on everything. So if you want to continue the conversation about Lana or about Josie or whatever you're interested in, you can find them there. It'll be linked in the show notes. And as per usual, if you want to fight us or have thoughts, you can come at us on Twitter or at Instagram, or on TikTok, my favorite social media platform, we're at Name 3 Songs, or you can come and chat with Jenna or myself personally at Sarah underscore Fagin and at Jenna underscore Million. So, thank you for joining us on Name 3 Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band.
2: And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Harry Styles.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out, and leave us a five-star review. They really help.
2: If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit name3songs.com
1: it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine
3: and be adventurous
1: with a trip to lucky land you know what they
3: say your chance to win starts with a spin so go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes
1: get lucky today